There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Rarely going where no one has gone before. Welcome to The Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on The Fangirl Zone. I'm Sean Fangirl S, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Chief Engineer Steve. <laughs> and I'm Richard Dave, and today we'll be discussing Episode 8 of Season 2 of Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh my gosh. So, initial reaction <laughs> before I jump in with mine. Steve, what do you got? This is one of my favorite episodes of the series. This was just amazing. <laughs> I loved it. Super Dave. funny. I know we're not rating it, but I gave it four out of five Mariner stomping horses. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun and clever. Yes. Oh my gosh, this was definitely my palate cleanser for the week, and I totally needed it. And I laughed through so much of this episode, so I was definitely like two thumbs up. And if anybody needs to watch something, if you want to get them into this show, if for some reason they haven't started it already, I would say this is the episode you have them watch. Right, yes. (laughs) And then they'll be like, okay, I got to watch all the rest because this is great. Yes, it was. All right, episode eight, I Acretus. For a second, I thought it said Erectus, (laughs) and I was going, that would have worked for the title of this episode, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. A consultant arrives on the Cerritos to run drills that require lower deckers and bridge crew to swap duties. Oh, this ought to be fun. Yeah. Mariner, Boimler, and Tendi and Rutherford are completing some repairs on a satellite and gazing upon a nearby nebula in awe when the USS Cerritos gets a distress call from the USS Bakersfield that they are in a temporal causality loop. The Cerrito enters high warp and way to go, Carol. Again. Yes, leave your you know, daughter behind. <laughs> what captain doesn't just beam him aboard? I mean, right. Beam him aboard. Uh, the Cerritos enters a high warp, leaving the four behind. Still on the hull of the satellite, Mariner is concerned about how much oxygen they have left in their EV suits, but Tendi predicts that the Cerritos will return for them any second. <laughs> Six hours pass, and the Cerritos returns when they realize they had left them behind and beamed them directly to sick bay, throwing blankets over them, <laughs> intruding for a lung trauma. I agree. Carol. It's like, here's your trauma blanket. So yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like the end of the Boston Marathon. Here's your little foil blanket for you. <laughs> I love how they're all like huddled together, like shivering. It's like you're not exactly sharing body warmth, but I totally expected Mariner to just look and it to cut out to be like, son of a, you know, and then like cut out. Oh, it was so good. Dr. Tiana continues to treat the four ensigns and Mariner angrily criticizes Freeman for leaving them behind, resulting in Ransom telling her that they would have not left them behind if they'd assigned out their mag booth as her protocol. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Excuse what me. That, what difference Did does that make? Send them out there? Yeah. Apparently not. 
Mariners the are orders were to go mattered. out there. Yeah. <laughs> but who who put them out there then? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Because, yeah, Mariners, like, it wouldn't have mattered because you see lower decks as disposable. Mm-hmm. And Freeman, of course, rebukes this claim, saying that she's forced to make life and death decisions every day involving the crew before telling Mariner to lose the attitude as they have a Starfleet drill instructor visiting the ship later for a crew test. And I don't want you to potentially hurt Gores. Excuse me? Hell no. Yeah. I would be so mad. I'd be like, you better put us in the brig because this is going to be bad. This is yes. going to be so bad. <laughs> this is going on your permanent record. The crew reports to a giant room filled with simulator holopods and are greeted by a Pandronian named Shari. I don't know how to say this name. Is it Shari Yin Yem? Yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. She just kept saying this one. So I, I didn't know what her name was. She gives them a brief motivational speech before telling them that the crew will enter the pods and be tested in situations that previous Starfleet crews have experienced and that each test has an amount of points that can be earned. Hmm, this doesn't sound good. No. Because I feel like somebody's going to go over the top. Yem tells them that to better evaluate the readiness of the crew, the ranks of the crew will be switched around, with the ensigns being tested as high-ranked officers and senior officers being tested as ensigns. And at first, I'm like, yeah, you're going to put them out to fix something and watch their ship, like, zip away from them? Right. Maybe. Yeah, that would be the first be lesson. So, uh, that would be great. <laughs> Maybe Freeman wouldn't be so smart, Alex. And rant. The crew starts to enter the pods in excitement, eager to experience what it's like to be in command. As Freeman and her senior officers believe that that they'll pass their test easily since the duties of lower deck will be very simple. When she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that is so wrong. Yes, it is. Hey, Carol's three for three so far in this episode. <laughs> Mariner enters her pod and is given a scenario where she finds herself in the mirror universe and must find her way back home. I was cracking up with some of these simulations. Oh, absolutely. Over the top. But at first, Mariner gets immersed in her part, but decides to try and deviate from her objectives, hoping to infiltrate the Terran Empire and dismantle it from the inside. However, as she decides to try this, the test docks her points from her score from deviating from the mission parameters. Oh, so apparently there is no individual thinking on anybody's part. Got it. Right. (laughs) Mariner encounters the Terran counterpart of Boimler. That's funny. I love love how they just have the little beard. Yeah, the little goatee and the chest hair. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. She salutes him, but he immediately realizes that she saluted him with her left hand. And since the Mariner of their universe is right-handed, he sees her as an imposter and has her arrested. Like, really? That's, but he does this weird breach. Oh, yeah. Like, what was that? That's, that's from, a, that's from a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a horror movie with the pod people where they screech at you when they discover you're really a human. Oh, okay. Okay. And what was with the bird doctor guy? Yeah. <laughs> with, like, the falconer hood? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. What is going on? Like some S&M pet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Boimler pulls out an agonizer and, well, the test ends in failure for Mariner. Big surprise. I kind of figured Mariner was going to fail because of her little attitude normally. But Tendi enters her pod and is told to assist a paralyzed Klingon in a ritual (laughs) suicide. And I'm like, oh, this is like out of next gen. Yep. Like, oh, okay, she's going to be able to do everything. But, well, Tendi tells the Klingon that she's not allowed to cause harm, which causes her score to be docked. 
Seeing this, Tendi pulls out a hypospray, ready to give him a quick, painless death. <laughs> and the Klingon demands that she use his ceremonial blade. When she objects, uh, there goes that score again. The Klingon is furious, and she's refusing to honor his culture. But that's not exactly what she's trying to do. She's just confused. So he tries to take his blade back, but falls off the bed. And then we have two nurses run into sickbay and ask, why is this Klingon not dead yet? <laughs> what? What? I know. This is confusing. And they begin to try to assist him in death, but the Klingon's backup organs begin to heal him, and they give up, much to the Klingon's dismay. <laughs> and they finally call time of life. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> and, and how he broke his back in the first place. Bending over to pick up a peanut, he broke his a peanut. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love Tendy's face. I think Tendy's face is probably everybody like, what is happening? <laughs> maybe maybe on the Klingon homeworld, uh, penis are the size of anvils. <laughs> hey, that's a possibility. Yeah. Let's go with uh, it. Well, as Tendy apologizes, the test ends in, well, failure. Big surprise. We go back to Mariner, finding herself in the Old West Town in her next test, and immediately gets points deducted as she tries to go to the saloon. <laughs> well, more exact, tries to walk to the saloon. Yeah. She looks over and she's like, oh, we're mounting horses. Okay, I can do this. She's super confident because she's taken lessons in the past. She climbs up, but then the horse gets agitated and bucks her off and, well, tramples the hell out of her, <laughs> resulting in another failure. That was funny. Like, it was just, bam, bam. Like, going to town. Bam. That, that was like a, a Grundy thumping yes, by Rick. absolutely. <laughs> and having my issues with horses growing up, I definitely oh. <laughs> sympathize with Mariner. Poor Becky. Yeah. Then we get to see Rutherford. Seth put him in engineering to refit the Constitution class starship where the warp core is in the process of a breach. Rutherford moves to try to enter the warp core area to stop the breach, but the handle of the door is super hot. It burns his hand through the radiation. Rutherford gets an idea to take off his boots, cover his hands, and open the door. And it's successful, but unfortunately it took him too long. And, well, the ship goes boom, resulting in his failure. I like that guy in the background. You know, this should be pretty easy. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking, why isn't he wearing gloves? Like, yeah, why? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, this was, what, Wrath of Khan all over again? Yeah. <laughs> and then we come to Boimler. Now, who of us thought Boimler was, was going to fail? I did not think he'd fail. Did either of you? No. No, not at all. I just figured he was going to get, like, over the top with stuff. And, well, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> Boimler's put in a test in which he must fight off the Borg and escape a Borg cube. Boimler successfully fights off the Borg drones and makes his way through the cube before coming upon a chamber of Borg babies. <laughs> However, he chooses to enter a shaft above the chamber, which leads him to a room with a Borg sphere that he can use to escape the cube. The test ends with him passing and a woo! Or was it woohoo? But Boimler is unhappy that he only scored a 79. <laughs> and this is where almost the time loop begins. Yes! <laughs> Eager to do better, he asks if he can take the test again. The computer warns him that if he gets a failing score, he'll be locked out of the test. Undeterred, Boimler restarts the test. And I kind of felt like the computer saying that was, like, telling us something. Trap. <laughs> the fix was in, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, any failure, you're locked out, so you can't go back in. So that guarantees that the you're more than likely going to have more failures than success. Good thing he's obsessed. Yes. 
So we see it start again, and he fights off the drones. Upon fighting the Borg babies, he takes them with him <laughs> before escaping to the sphere. But it only raises his score to an 83, and he's like, nope, nope, gotta do it again. Yep. <laughs> I like how he ties, ties the babies to himself. Yeah, it's like, oh, somebody could have used baby Bjorn. He retakes it, rescuing more babies, along with a couple drones, and he only gets a 1% bump to 84. <laughs> Boimler is getting frustrated and tells the computer, restart the test. And I'm like, wait, you start seeing, like, the darkness under his eyes. I'm like, oh, he's getting mad. Yeah. <laughs> like, somebody's a perfectionist. We have Mariner about to start her final test. Oh, my God. I don't know <laughs> if I can do this one. It's when the entire crew has been affected with poly water intoxication. While she's not enthusiastic about the nature of the mission, she tries to pump herself up and enters the mess hall to see the crew completely naked, involved in basically a huge orgy. <laughs> Mariner tries to ignore it, and I was gonna die. Yeah. Let's <laughs> talk everyone out of their outrageous behavior, but it's unsuccessful. Because then she sees Boimler. Oh my <laughs> god. That was crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Showing off his genitals. Yeah, we'll say it that way. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> but it causes Mariner to run out. And I'm just thinking, uh oh. Wait, are we going to, is she going to like start thinking about this? And is that how we're going to get like what we've talked about? Right. Like she's going to end up making out with Boimler and it's not our Boimler. It's like really. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it's a tease. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think Boimler was much of a tease in that, that moment. <laughs> just saying. No, for the upcoming. <laughs> <laughs> but Mariner runs out and sees Steve Stevens spanking ransom and thinks, oh my God, we can't get through this. Saying things like, I don't know where you end and I begin. Oh, well, holding uh, him on a leash. Uh, it's like, she's uh, right. <laughs> like this moment, I was, I had tears. I was crying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we have a naked Shax run out and then Tiana clinging to him, which only makes it stranger later. Yes. When we see him. And I'm like, there's a lot of scratches on him. Holy snake. What have yeah. they been doing? <laughs> But unable to take the lewd nature of the test anymore, Mariner runs to an airlock as she's screaming, Fail me! Fail me! Fail me! <laughs> Send me back to the Western! I love how she just hits the airlock and like no longer caring about passing and just like, oh, sweet death. She floats away. As the test ends, the ship's average score falls to a 37. <laughs> Oh my god. I was just crying though. I could not believe this. And then it happened to go to a commercial when we were watching and I think I laughed through the entire like amount of commercials because it took that long for me to try to come back to normal. Right. <laughs> I, this was just so over the top. I loved it. And it was weird because a friend of mine happened to, to text right at this time or you know on Facebook is like oh I, I think I'm totally Boimler. And I'm like oh my god which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, real one weird real fast <laughs> so in freeman's ready room mariner tindy and rutherford are all enjoying a fancy meal but distraught that they all failed their test so horribly 
and never thought the command duties of the senior officers could be so demanding. Mariner wonders where Boimler is, and Rutherford replies that he heard he was still taking his test. Mariner's- I love Tendy's all like, what is this that I'm eating? Yes. <laughs> I did not pass, though. Mariner speculates that he probably failed like them and is just too embarrassed to admit it. Now, Boimler is still in his drill with the Borg, retaking the test again and again, altering his approach each time, managing to score as high as 94%, placing him in the top 10%. But he's still unsatisfied with the score and continues to retake the test. <laughs> Perfectionist much? Mariner doesn't like to admit it, but she admits that the senior officers' jobs are harder than they thought. Though Tendy replies that they're probably realizing that their jobs are difficult as well. <laughs> right. We're about yeah. to find out. In the lower deck crew bunks, Shax is taking a nap while Ransom stretches and Freeman talks about how easy it is to be in the lower deck, noting how all she did was stand in the back of a banquet all day. Tiana notes how all she did was stand in the transporter room until someone needed to be transported somewhere. I was getting so mad at them. Yes! And they're sitting there, and they're like, oh, look, and these are great. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. Ransom wonders why they even bothered ranking up. Freeman notes how the cramped showers and limited selections from the replicator is a small price to pay for their simpler job. <laughs> Tiana I also... Was that we learned it was a group shower, too. I wonder how she put up with that. Exactly. <laughs> Tiana also notes how she likes the close quarters of the bunks before cuddling with Shaq. Right on his butt. Yes. <laughs> so you know that's the scene with them previously was uh, probably <laughs> closer to real life than the infection. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I should have put it I, in a box. Yes. <laughs> They all rest in their bunks, but as they nap, the ship's red alert alarm, which is positioned above their beds, take them by surprise. They enter a hollow pod and begin a test involving a Klingon encounter. They are instructed, yeah, they're instructed to support their commanders and find themselves in a cargo bay as the ship shakes from the supposed attack. Commander enters and tells them to stop goofing around and to stack the crates in the cargo bay. <laughs> <laughs> I love how, like, what, what he's wearing, too, keeps changing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Freeman is dumbfounded that in the middle of a Klingon attack, their job is to stack crate, which is made harder due to the hexagonal shape of the crates themselves and the continued rocking of the ship under attack. Yep, every time they get a fuse stack, boom, they come down again. <laughs> the commander comes back and asks if they've seen Q anywhere before running off, screaming of a Jemadar attack. Ignoring Freeman's pleas to help. You know, that reminds me of the original Star Trek. And every time they were in like a storage area, the fake things would just roll across that they were probably just plastic barrels. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And every time they got into a fight, the plastic barrel would roll across the stage. Well, they had to give you an idea of the ship moving and bouncing. Right. Which I love. That's why they have the hexagonal crate. Yes. (laughs) Create stuff like this. Shaq successfully manages to stack (laughs) a small wall of crates, but it crashes down as the ship rocks again, resulting in the test ending in failure. For the crew's final test, a joint exercise between the senior officers and the lower deck 
Fox crew will be simulated on the bridge. This is only going to go well. Yes. <laughs> they are instructed to steal the Cerritos from Space Dock to save Spock from the Genesis planet. <laughs> Manor takes the command chair and has Ransom get them some coffee before instructing Freeman to take them out of Space Dock. He didn't even grumble. Yeah. How do you want it? <laughs> he sure thought about it, though. Yeah. As they approach the doors, Shax gets up and starts to stretch. <laughs> oh, my God. As his back hurts from sleeping in the cramped quarters of the lower deck. Maybe it's because Tiana was sleeping on you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All those scratches on his back. However, <laughs> as he continues to stretch, Mariner is reminded of how he looked fully naked in her final test and is visibly disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps thrusting his butt out. Yeah. <laughs> All I kept thinking with that is going back to the Simpsons with Sexy Flanders. Yeah. When he's in, like, oh, the ski suit. He's oh, like, yeah. Stupid Sexy Flanders. It's like, it's like wearing <laughs> nothing at all. Freeman speculates that she's remembering her bad experience with the horse, which angers Mariner, and she tries to send Freeman to the brig. Of course, the two start to quarrel and pay no attention to the test, resulting in their ship colliding with the space doors and ending the test in a failure in a record time. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, fighting over <laughs> like, wait, who's controlling the shore. ship. <laughs> Later in the lounge, Freeman and Mariner are at the bar having a drink, distraught that they didn't even make it out of space dock. And they apologize to one another, realizing that they never truly realized that each other's duties were so strenuous. With a newfound respect for each other's work, they notice a new sense of camaraderie with the crew as the senior officers and lower decks bond and laugh about their performances in the test. And it leads Freeman and Mariner to realize that the tests were odious with the intent on making the crew better understand what their fellow officers go through. So Freeman and Mariner head to Yim's office and tell her they figured out that her tests were only meant to bring the crew closer and that moving forward, the crew will show more empathy and appreciation towards one another. <laughs> you only and maybe not so. leave them stranded mm -hmm. out. <laughs> yeah. you know, void of space. Yeah. However, as they say this, Yim just laughs and shows them their failed grades and says that they won't be moving forward at all. Like, oh my God, we have a villain on board. Yes. Yeah. I love the way her head keeps popping off. Yeah. <laughs> Yim continues to laugh and says that their scores are way below failing, that she intends to have the entire crew reassigned. Evil. She also reveals the drills are only purpose were to preserve her job at Starfleet, as her drills are easily passed by the crews of other ships, and Starfleet was beginning to question the necessity of her job. To fight this, she deliberately targeted the Cerritos and rigged the test to be harder in an effort to show Starfleet that the drills are still necessary. Freeman tries to get the crew to do more drills and prove the score, but their entire crew has been locked out of the test due to their failing scores. There's nothing they can do to improve them. She's about to submit the finalized scores when Mariner notes that the one test is still active. Yeah, they have Seth's guy. Yeah. <laughs> Boimler is wait. still. What? I was going to say, why was she talking about them being a California class and it being so bad on a California class? They're small ship. She wants a Constitution class ship. Right. Oh, okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Boimler's still in the drill with the board trying to get a score higher than 98%. And Yum wonders what he's still doing in there, but he notes that one of the passing grades will not save their scores. Realizing that if the drills aren't finished, the scores cannot be finalized, Mariner contacts Boimler in the holopod. Boimler is about to finish the drill, having finally achieved a perfect 100% after say, saving most of the Borg crew, beating the Borg queen in chess, and teaching her empathy. It was so funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I beat the boy queen in chess. Freeman orders him not to finish the drill, and Mariner tells him that Yem is trying to deliberately fail him, that as long as he's in the drill, she cannot finish until he finishes. Understanding Boimler continues to interact with the drill despite its lowering his score to 99%, much to his disappointment. <laughs> Freeman and Mariner rush to the bridge as Yem wonders what they're trying to do since they're delaying their finalized scores and torturing Boimler in the process. Small point there. Yeah. <laughs> Freeman expresses faith in her crew and noting that despite them being on smaller and more insignificant ship, the crew is tougher than most. Is that what she said? He's one of our most capable officers. Yeah. 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 I feel bad because Boimler will never hear that. No. Becky did. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> She'll Becky tell him. Did, well, maybe so. she won't. Freeman Young boasts that she's read all about life on a starship working space and doubts that they're any more reliable than any of the crew she's tested. Freeman notes that Yim has to read all about it, but has never really experienced it in person. They reach the bridge, and Freeman orders Tendi to make a long-range scan for any potentially dangerous anomalies. Let's go. Mariner notes a Tetrion wormhole, a chronotation radiant stream, and numerous crystalline entity sightings in the immediate area. All the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Freeman orders Rutherford to set a course for one of the entities. Yem notes how the entities is in her drills and is eager to see what they intend to do. Boimler is running from the... Is that when she said they're getting frisky? <laughs> the two of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Boimler is running through the Borg drones and running out of places to evade them. And he finds himself face-to-face with the Borg queen. He asks how her empathy is, and she says she, she was able to assimilate it. <laughs> <laughs> of course she was. <laughs> yeah. After this, two Borg drones take Boimler away, and he screams about the score. The Cerritos reaches a crystalline entity that is feeding on an unstable nebula radiation. It's like biting into it, like with a giant head. <laughs> and Yem is a bit unsettled that the entity is much bigger than, the, than she thought it was. Freeman orders the shields to be raised and orders Rutherford to take them closer, much to Yem's discomfort since in her drills, one was not allowed to approach the entity. <laughs> they ignore her protests and get closer. Tendi notes that the shields are holding, but detects transphasic energy close to the perimeter. Freeman orders a closer look, causing more protests from Yem. The Cerritos is then caught in electromagnetic resonance belt, and Freeman notes their dire situation. Back in the holopod, Boimler is strapped to a table and scared by the Borg Queen approaches him and gently blows on the skin. <laughs> That's what they always do. Yes. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, we're going to see some weird Borg Boimler action. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. This is actually on my bucket list, too. I want well, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a Borg called Boimler, a remarkable creature. And he nearly passes as human, which makes Boimler say that he is human. This takes the Borg Queen by surprise, and she recommends that the, he drink more water. As his skin isn't in the best condition, but decides to have him assimilated despite his protest and, and having hay fever and acid reflux. Yeah, he tried everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I might mess up everything with well, all of this. <laughs> on the bridge, Freeman orders a gravitation pulse to be fired so they can escape the crystalline entity and takes her time to give the order, much to Yem's terror. The Cerritos escapes the crystalline entity with ease and, and Freeman orders for another scan for something dangerous hoping they can find a black hole. Yim asks why she's doing this and Freeman says they'll keep doing this until she changes her score. Mariner notes a black hole feeding on a temporal rift nearby and Freeman orders a course for it. Yim angrily says that she can't be blackmailed at the expense of the Freeman's crew and Freeman only says that her crew does this kind of work on a daily basis and that they will be engaging dangerous anomalies until she changes her scores. <laughs> <laughs> now she's acting like a captain. Yes. 
The cerebral approach is a temporal black hole, and they begin to experience numerous distortion. Yeah, panics and screams at her to stop. Finally, thinks she will change their scores. Because her head was bouncing like, off. I wouldn't say wasn't like all three parts of her body like bouncing yes. everywhere. Yes, yes. <laughs> she shows her passing scores, and Freeman orders Rutherford to get away from the black hole. And Rutherford effortlessly stops the ship from spinning. Yem is confused to how easy it was to get away from the temporal black hole. And Mariner notes that is that was just a regular black hole. And Freeman notes that Yem should have known the difference if they weren't. She wasn't a fraud for her job. Vows to mention that in her own report. <laughs> I'm like, when I heard her say that, like, whoa. Don't yeah. push your luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the top now. Mariner ha- tries to contact Boiler, but that he can leave the drill now, but he gets no response. He has been completely assimilated by the board by this time. Outside his holopod, Shax notes that he can hear Boiler shuffling around inside the pod and Free calls him out to call him out, but Boiler replies that he is excretus of Borg. <laughs> I honestly thought he was going to come out with, like, board parts on him. Yeah. Because he was, like, too into it or yeah. something. I know. A little tinfoil and everything. Ransom orders Andy <laughs> Billups to get Boimler out of the pod, and Billups cuts the door open, causing an exhausted Boimler to fall from the pod. Dazed, but back to his normal stuff, he asks where he is, and Freeman tells him that he crew owes him a debt of gratitude. Mariner approaches him as he laments about his assimilation and guides him to the lounge so they can have a drink. As he leaves, he asks if he got a perfect score, and Tenny says, oh, he did. So I'm actually getting a score of 8%. <laughs> At one point, you did, Boims. Yep, or you had yeah, to last episode crew, he did, so. Yeah, that's two episodes in a row where Boims has come up with the ultimate solution here. And Absolutely. Come out, you know, on top. Yes. Boims is the man. <laughs> Look out, he's going to get promoted again over... I hope they do. Mariner. I hope they do. I, I thought the same thing, that uh, she's going to make him a lieutenant. Oh, that'll be something. Yes. <laughs> and then he'll get his own quarters, and that's when Mariner will give him a <clears throat> visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll really be William. Oh. <laughs> anyway, we go back to uh, Freeman, and they're talking about Yem resigning to Starfleet due to on-the-job stress, and Mariner knows how it feels good to ruin the career of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Freeman agrees, but notes that there is only one thing she managed to show them. At that moment, Shax and Tiana wheel a new replicator into the mess hall that is programmed with the senior officer menu codes, blaming that as the lower decks crews are constantly facing danger, they deserve better food. Pesto, pesto. Yeah. Boimler <laughs> eagerly asks if it makes a lobster mac and cheese with bread at top, causing Shax to tease him that the Borg don't, didn't take away his appetite. <laughs> as everyone laughs at the joke, Boimler laments how the Borg took everything that he was. Like, oh, that's so sad. He's like, he's not that Oh, Boimler. Oh, no. Poor guy. That was funny, though. It was super funny. All those babies strapped to him and stuff and dragging on. So I got a few Easter eggs and some Boomer talk, maybe. Shari and Yem is the second Pandronian to appear in Star Trek after Ari Ben Bem from the Epimonia Star Trek, the animated series, Bem. Her outfit is nearly identical to the one worn by Bem. And these people do their research. Yes, they do. Several background characters are given names for the first time in this episode, including Arjun, Castro, Dahe, Murp, Pandara, Ross, and Volus. The Andorian, who was finally known simply as Jennifer or Jen, was given a last name as Sharan. A hologram of another crossover character, the Borg Queen, appears in the episode performed by the character's original al- actress, Alice Cree. Love her. <laughs> Much of her appearance recreated for Borg or mirrored Data's experience with the Queen, the queen in Star Trek First Contact. Oh, yeah. And, Even with the, the blowing on the skin. Yeah, and yes. the hair stands up. And, like, <laughs> and not realizing that he was human. So, yeah, it was playing out just like the scene with Data. <laughs> Isn't this like the second episode that somebody has talked about Boimler's skin being so bad and yes. <laughs> water? Oh, maybe that's why uh, they should have noticed that when they, Becky ends up in 
the the lieutenant suite with William. Yes. <laughs> He'll say, why didn't you notice my awful skin? Oh, God. That's a good setup, though. Yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> Back in the, wasn't, the next generation had an episode called The Naked Now, too. Yes. So, good Easter eggs. Yep. Well, Jazz graced us with her thoughts on this episode again. So, let's take a listen. Hello, this is Jazz with a season review of Lower Decks, season two, episode eight. I saw actually a extra feature where they discussed that they used the training director, their species, as an homage to the original episode when they actually had that character in the first place. It was on the original series and he floated around in bits and pieces and probably tried to knock off Kirk and Spock. But I thought that was, you know, a nice, really old Easter egg, I suppose, if you watch the animated series from the end 70s. I think. But overall, I thought it was typical to see everybody else sort of getting along with their higher-ups and Boimer being the odd man out and trying to figure out if he belonged anywhere. I thought it was poor form for the Hawaiian people to accept him and then not after they all figured out they were Moonies. And then, oh, that's such a horrible thing for you to say. You wouldn't say that if you were from a moon. And I'm just like, really? Just stupid people were annoying. But guess that's typical. I thought that it was nice that at the very end, they're all like, why don't we spend the day together next time? And that'll work out. I love the fact that Rutherford was able to calm down the Papa Bear, because for whatever reason, he was having issues talking about Bajor, and he was able to get him down to a calm, serene area, so I thought that was good. And they had some mother-daughter time, and that worked out very well, instead of them always having conflict. I liked that. The animation looks very good. The voice acting was top-notch. Sometimes there were some issues with what if with that. And I generally enjoyed it very much. Thanks very much. Bye. Well, thank you, Jazz, for that wonderful feedback. Yeah, I was wondering what the voice acting problems she had. I'm thinking, like, oh, was there a problem with some of the voice acting? Like what? <laughs> I think she was having it synced with the anime. There was a, some issues in the first couple of episodes. In, uh, uh, well, if, I, I, think, so. I missed it. What if I missed it? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, annoying people annoy everyone, Jazz. Trust me, Steve and I have been in retail for a long time, so <laughs> we know that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it was kind of uh, unfortunate that Boimler got treated the way he did by <laughs> by the Moonies. The Moonies. I feel like Boimler always gets mistreated. Poor Boimler. I just want to give him a hug. Yeah. He just he takes the wrong tact. He, he right. wants to close. To, yeah. He. Uh, I don't know if he doesn't have confidence in himself. Well, I'm sure that's it. He's he's always second guessing himself, but. He, he can't learn to be real. He has to come up with some affectation to be something he's not. And then, of course, he gets rejected because he's not being real. That is very true. Okay. I didn't go to college for nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you leave my Boimler alone. Yeah. Mm. Wait, that sounds like see, a whole different show. Right. It was good to see that Rutherford was able to bring Shax down after his uh, <laughs> Bajor invasion. Yeah, by uh, Boims, so that how, that was <laughs> good to see because I was afraid Shax was just going to rip Boimler up. I, <laughs> yeah, it got a little dicey there for a minute. Yes, it did. <laughs> and hopefully we'll see that Boimler will get more credit going forward as he basically saved them all anyway because he didn't leave the program. <laughs> 
Well, we knew he was a little over the top. Come on. Yes. Well, as always, Jazz, it's great to hear from you and looking forward to hearing from you again. Thanks, Jazz. We'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews. Help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Lower Deck podcasts out there. Tell your friends. And I hope you like our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. As always, you can go over to www.fangirlzone.com. Check out our contacts tab for all of the ways to get a hold of us other than just email because we are everywhere and we love to hear from you. And of course, we want to hear any kind of Easter eggs that you picked up because there's so many that goes on in so many of these episodes that these guys are good and they catch basically everything, but there's always something else out there. Sure is. Yep. The ninth, yeah, the ninth episode is on October 7th and it's titled Multiple Question Marks. Ha ha ha. So until then, <laughs> we still don't know. Remember, this is Chief Engineer Steve. Oh yeah, that's right. Boimler's the boy man. <laughs> this is Sean Fangirl S. I'm going to the saloon. And this is Redshirt Dave. As Naked Shacks would say, I'm in the mood for some black hole. Oh. <laughs>